Welcome back to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. We are back with Superman coverage for the first time in a long time, specifically Christopher Reeve's Superman coverage. This is Ben L., and with me, as usual, is... Super and ooh, everyone. I'm ready. Indeed. The, I forgot about Ben L. This is great. <laughs> ben you're, L good is with, back. you're good with the names. Back in 2020, yeah. we did a five-part coverage of the 1978 Superman film starring Christopher Reeve. We always planned to go back to it in terms of going to Superman 2, 3, and 4 and the Superman hiatus, all that stuff. We've been asked about that. But some component was missing in our coverage of the 78 film, which was the original script by the first writer on the film, the Godfather writer himself, Mario Puzo. And, this is part well, six. Yes, this part is unexpected part six, uh, <laughs> but maybe not even the last part. So thanks to, oh, right. an, yeah, thanks to an anonymous source, we have an exclusive. We now have a copy of Puzo's original draft for Superman. And we're going to dive into what exactly Puzo brought to the table in the very first draft for Superman, the movie from 1978, written in 1975. When we discussed this years ago, we were going off of the earliest draft we could find, which was already, you know, Puzo, but revised and rewritten by other writers, including David and Leslie Newman and Robert Benton, uh, which I called the Benton Newman script. Uh, and then... On top of that was Tom Mankiewicz, who wasn't formally credited as a writer, but was credited as creative consultant, even though we found out a lot of the iconic aspects of these movies can be credited to Mankiewicz. So uh, that's pretty much what we got right now is the very first draft from July 8th, 1975, a Puzo exclusive. So oh, we're, ready. Gosh. we're ready. We're ready. It took Internet? us three years to get to this point. <laughs> it took me three years to read it. <laughs> it was a tome. <laughs> I have, I have had this script for a while. It's just... Okay, so we did report there were rumors that it was 500 pages. That was not true. It was over 200, though, which is still a okay. lot. Okay. Uh, certain pages, yeah, though, are not like a whole page. Some of them was just like an added dialogue line at the top and then just blank for the rest of it. So it's... Really? It's a little bit less than 200 just because like maybe... You know, that's that's kind of how draft pages would work. And stuff, and of course, you know, this is the time of typewriters as well. So I'm sure it's just like add an extra line. Right. All right, here you go. Even though I it's just like one line from so yeah. it doesn't really fucking matter how many trees I waste. <laughs> True. <laughs> so we're actually going to split this up into two episodes. This one on the first half of the script that was the basis for the 1978 Superman the movie, the movie that is the template for all superhero origin movies. And the second half, we will save for next time, because the second half of that script is basically what would become Superman 2, which would finally begin our long-awaited Superman 2 coverage. It all starts God. back here, guys. <laughs> yes. I cannot believe that was three years ago, by the way. I know, when man. When we first did coverage. <laughs> it feels like about maybe a year ago. I know, right? At the most. <laughs> so you guys have yeah. very patiently been waiting for this. Yes. So... Uh, let's go into it. As usual, okay. we start on Krypton. No big surprise there <laughs> on stuff. You got to. Yeah. Uh, Krypton is described as being almost made of glass to protect itself from the rays of the red sun. But in the spaceless void of the Phantom Zone, we briefly, emphasis on briefly, meet the criminals, including General Zod. But there are three other criminals who are not in the final film. They are Jax Ur, Cruel, as in cruel, get it, and Professor Vacox. 
uh, more on them later as they play a very small role on this. But it's not Non and okay. Ursa. I believe uh, we can credit the the Newmans and Benton for Non and Ursa uh, for later on. But it's just it's all testosterone. It's all four males in this one. So okay, uh, and they all kind of blend together to be honest. But uh, that's that's kind of the state of the characters at this time. Anyway, they were just the Phantom Zone villains. We don't get a trial scene in this draft, unlike the later drafts. You know, the opening in 78 where you know he's talking, he's condemning them to the Phantom Zone. We don't actually get that in the Buzo script. They're just kind of mentioned okay. as being in the Phantom Zone. Uh, okay. Krypton is a little different in the movie. It's just a bunch of old farts. In this one, it's a council of, quote, blonde and fair men. It says that none of them should look too old, unlike in the movie or in even some of the guys on the council in this image that we're bringing up here. They all wear headbands like the Roman senators wearing laurel crowns, including Jor-El, hearkening back to that classic look where he's got that headband. Uh, so The headband look, I think it's been a been a Krypton look yeah, for a long it time. Is. Yeah. So Puzo is pretty much staying true to that in uh, in the script, in his description here. He also wants I wonder the... if he made them all blonde, like, you know, like the original intention was to kind of make Super Jew, like make mm -hmm. like Superman was like kind of a response to what was going on politically at that time, right? And yeah, I I don't know, like cause, like there's a there's a reason there's a definitely strong reason Superman has black hair. He can never be blonde, so it's just I something. Something going on. I don't know. Maybe Puzo didn't know that. It seems like he might have known. Though. I don't know. Just that this council being all blonde men that don't listen to Jor El uh, mm -hmm. might might mean something. I don't know. I I might be just thinking too much about it, but we'll see. It, it might be, but it is interesting that he specifies that while Jor El is presumably the classic image of Jor El that we have here, who basically looks like Superman in a different outfit. You know, that's kind of how Jor-El yes, was drawn. Yes. Yes. So um, Puso even writes in, like, this is expensive, but Krypton will make four to five appearances in this film just to justify the cost. <laughs> like, that is literally he a writes that. He writes <laughs> that in the action lines or whatever. I think part of it, too, is we have to keep in mind, this is 1975. You're making a Superman movie that isn't a B-movie serial type of thing, like with the Kirk Allen stuff or even Superman and the Mole Men. This is supposed to be a major motion picture written by the guy yes. who wrote the godfather so it's like yes. why are we starting on an alien planet because you need to start on the alien planet in this in this version even like look i'm the guy who's been complaining about like there's we start on krypton too much but like back in this time in 1975 absolutely you have to start it here you have to start it here in this movie specifically it's yeah like, yeah it just sets up too much and it's it's his origin and it's like well one planet got fucked up we got to save the next one you know I, there's just a, kind of like even thematic stuff there mm -hmm. i think and the weight too of the yeah. speeches that uh, we're going to find were basically pretty much mankowitz and, and the other writers not puso <laughs> but the speeches that the the parents say to him like there's a feeling of dramatic weight to it even though like yes it's an alien planet and they're wearing tin foil <laughs> and stuff and marlon brando is <laughs> reading off a cue card but it's it's <laughs> In a his feeling underwear, of right? dramatic weight <laughs> yeah. so uh, anyway by the way so he puso must have gone from Straight from Godfather, Godfather to this, right? Yeah, I would say not, Godfather's mid seventies, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. It is. I think he goes straight from Godfather 2 to this because Godfather 2, I'm looking up right now, I'm pretty sure it was 1974. Uh, yeah, 1974 for Godfather 2. So he goes right from Godfather 2 being released into writing Superman. So Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, I love cool. that they they hired the the artsy not the artsiest, but you know, the most Academy Award winning kind of dude ever. Well, you know what I mean though, right? Yeah, there's like, a prestige I, they, to his name. They add prestige to Superman, the first superhero in earnest. I mean, I just love that added prestige to it, yes. Which is why this is something special too, to to read yeah. through where you're just like, Okay, what was it that that Puzo created as the template. And I think what we're going to find is it's the, the story structure of what we expected of the origin. Like it, there are definitely things that they change because we got all these different writers, but the, the core thing of like, we start on Krypton, we go to Smallville, then we go to Metropolis. Like that's been there since Puzo wrote the first draft. Right. So that's pretty much intact, which is natural because that's how, you know, the George Reeves show started out. That's how the Kirk Allen serial started off. So maybe it doesn't seem too crazy of a thing. But again, like we're, we're this could have easily gone wrong in 1975. This could have easily, yes. they could have fucked this up. So yes. uh, anyway, back to the script. Jor-El does the usual thing showing, you know, I'm telling you Krypton is doomed. And council, the council disagrees. They think the planet is just changing orbit. And Jor-El insists that they all need to build ships in order to escape Earth, where he can, you know, all of them will have great physical strength due to its yellow sun. But as usual, the council refuses and even threaten that if he does try to build one, they will exile him to the Phantom Zone, a punishment that Jor-El himself created, and his wife and his child will be wards with the Kryptonian Council. So, pretty similar to what we got in the final film anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. at Jor-El's house, both Jor-El and Lara prepare the ship anyway, and any teachings for their son to learn among them are, quote, the dangers of power and the value of any form of life. Valuable lessons for Superman. And, uh, of course, the council discovers that Jor-El is attempting to go off-planet, or is attempting to send a rocket off-planet, and they try to have him arrested and sent to the Phantom Zone, but, of course, it's too late. Krypton starts getting hit hard with the quakes. Lara kisses mm -hmm. the baby. Jor-El launches the ship and we're out. The big difference here between this and the main film is, as I've hinted at before, no long monologues to the sun. No, like, you will travel okay. far, Kal-El. Like, that's all added <laughs> later. <laughs> Puzo's just like, this place explodes. All right, on to the next one. Like, we're... We're moving on, baby. <laughs> it's 17 pages in. Krypton's gone. Puzo even writes a note that this might seem like a long intro, but we have to introduce Krypton to buy into this world. And he even compares it to the opening of the exorcist to make you buy into a world where, you know, a demon will take over a child, like that type of thing. So interesting. It okay. is interesting that he is, it's at a time where he has to write justifications for things that we think are a given now in 2023. But 1975 is just like, look, yeah, we start on an alien planet, but you need to in this movie, you have to. Right, right. Did so, you ever find any information about how much of a fan he was going into this? He must have liked it to a certain degree to accept it at all. You know, that's a good question. I might have to save that for the Patreon because I, I, I couldn't really find that much in terms of his own stuff. But I'm sure our uh, <laughs> a lot of our fans out there can put comments on that. Yeah, so, we'd love to hear we'll that. See. Like, if you're writing Jack Sir and all these kind of people, like, you... He might know some things. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows? 
Yeah, like I, I don't know how much of that is him being a Superman fan, reading through all the comics, and how much of that is, oh, I got assigned Superman. Here are the comics they gave me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you probably <laughs> uh, maybe it's a little bit of both. Yeah, maybe now that you mention it, it could have been he grew up with like classic Siegel Schuster nineteen thirty eight Superman, and then when he gets the job, they're like, oh yeah, and you should read about like here are the current comics at this time, which is likely what's happening. Oh, you know, because there's a he lot flies of now, comics this. Mario, by the way, <laughs> doesn't just jump anymore. <laughs> oh shit, I gotta be updated. <laughs> exactly. So. As usual, Kal-El's ship lands in Smallville. The, the Kents find it in a cornfield, and when Pa Kent puts his hand on the ship's wall, the wall falls and reveals a child inside who is three years old and clothed in blankets that have the S symbol for Superman. There ain't no naked kid in this movie in the original draft. It's, it's him in the literal blankets that will be turned into the Superman outfit. So Puzo does write okay. that in. Uh, Ma Kent doesn't believe that this is a spaceship since it's not in the Bible, but Pa Kent's like, well, what else could this be? Taint <laughs> 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 no spaceships in the Bible. <laughs> and uh, we just get a similar scene of Pa Kent changing the tire and little kal lifts the car above his head, which, of course, the Kents agree, uh, this is obviously an unusual child. No one must ever know where he really came from. <laughs> yeah. So... Pretty much right now we have early versions of what we got in the movie. So we start seeing some differences in Smallville when we cut to Clark as a teenager. So in the final film, he's kind of an outcast. He's the guy who cleans up after the football team. In Puzo's draft, Clark is the football team. He's a star oh, okay. athlete in Smallville. So that's something that's interesting. Uh, and he outdoes all the rest of his peers. And then one day he just randomly decides to quit. And the coaches are like, you're crazy. You're going to be a star. Don't you want to be a star kid? And he says, no, I don't. And okay. uh, there's a reason for that, which is that uh, back at the farm, unlike in the final film, Clark has already opened up the spaceship and already have been, has been talking to Jor-El and Lara in hologram form in the barn in Smallville. Okay. And it's Jor-El who advises him not to compete against humans in any way. Instead, he must use his powers responsibly. Uh, and, uh, you know, basically live an ordinary life as an earthling and use those powers to benefit society, but also, quote unquote, to reinforce your ego in this time and place. Interesting choice of words, but that's okay. kind of it's it's their idea that like, hey, don't become an athlete. Use your powers to actually benefit humanity. Right. So uh, another big change in this as well that would have fundamentally changed a lot of the other things that this made it into the final version. Paul Kent does not die in the script. Oh, wow. He's alive. When Clark decides to leave, he says goodbye to both his parents, not just his mom. Uh, no heart okay. attack and stuff. So, like, if that carried over, it would have been because of the George Reeves show uh, that had that in the first episode, not in the 1978 movie. But I think a lot of people redo the Paul Kent death because, you know, this movie helped form so many people's conception of Superman. Right. So this is a big, interesting change here. But anyway, Pa Kent advises Clark, in fact, that man, quote unquote, usually requires forgiveness rather than punishment. And with that lesson, he must learn that mercy is more important than judgment. So it's an interesting thing here. That didn't make it into the final film. Uh, here's where things get a little weird. So <laughs> Clark, just like in the final movie, goes to the Arctic to build the fortress. He doesn't use a 
crystal, though. He actually does build it in this version. Okay. Uh, and Jor-El tells Clark to read and study everything they've provided, and after a couple of years, he will be ready to be a man of the world again. So he goes to the Arctic, he builds the fortress, and then he uses the blankets to become Superman. It's a little anticlimactic, but he kind of is just able to don a costume at this point. Uh, okay. Doesn't have the same fanfare as in you know, the final film, where suddenly the Williams theme kicks in and Reeve just right. flies towards the camera. Like, that's not in here. Um, okay. And then he decides, you know what? I got to spruce up this place in the fortress. So as Superman, he fights a polar bear and turns the polar bear into a rug. <laughs> this is this has got to be cut, dude. He, he <laughs> kills a deer, the... puts the deer's antlers on a wall. What? Really? He starts hunting down all these animals and he's got a bunch of wolf and deer. I guess. OK, so here's the thing. Puzo brings a lot of prestige because it's the Godfather stuff. However a lot of instances in the script is a comedy. Okay. That's kind of the big breaking thing about he's this. Not, he's not taking it too serious. That's why That's why they took it from him, I guess. They're like, <laughs> we like what you started off with, but we can't have him fucking killing fucking polar bears in this shit. By the way, they there was a, some sort of polar bear through line up until Man of Steel 2, I think, right? Kevin, Kevin Smith talks Smith. about this. <laughs> Kevin Smith had had to have Brainiac fight polar bears in the yeah. Fortress of Solitude because John Peters <laughs> wanted him to have it. <laughs> what is what? Actually, I guess pol- I don't know. I like the spiders and the polar bears. I just don't have to fight desire. giant animals. <laughs> Only giant. I would like to him to fight a kaiju maybe, but not a fucking like regular old fucking polar bear. Who gives a shit? I know, I know, but <laughs> anyway, Puzo foreshadows all this, but yeah, I think there's the joke in this, is that like, oh, like, he's trying to create a home, and what's in the home? You know, you got the bearskin rug, you got the <laughs> antlers on the wall, and stuff. You gotta so have he's, the antlers. <laughs> Superman is I don't know how animals. Puzo talk, but this is, this is how he talks to me. You gotta have the antlers. <laughs> so, the yeah, we have, a, we have this whole sequence in the script where I'm like, okay, My Superman's a man. He's a manly man. He's super, but he's also a man. <laughs> so after like okay, five pages of him hunting after all this, uh, he goes into a closet and puts together the Clark Kent outfit. And he, if anything, it's like the reverse of the of the Donner film where like it all leads up to him wearing the suit, the Superman suit. In Puzo's script, it all leads up to him wearing the Clark Kent outfit. And then... <laughs> And then he's like, wait a minute. And he has to go back into the fortress because he forgot his briefcase. Oh, my so, God. Okay. So it's uh, very comedic. Yeah. 36 pages in, we're in Metropolis. And Clark tries to sort of imitate the other humans around him and fit in with them. He ends up getting hit by two taxis, which, of course, get wrecked around him. He apologizes okay. and pulls them off. This is a scene that would end up in Superman 2, uh, where he gets mm-hmm. hit by the taxi. But, uh, you know, two men try to mug him. <laughs> that's a bad idea because their right. unconscious bodies later fall on top of a truck as well as on top of a hotel awning as Clark just walks off and goes into his first day on the job. Now, here's another main difference. Clark does not work at the Daily Planet in this script because okay. of, this, of the comics at the time. He works at Galaxy Broadcasting because at this time in the 1970s, Clark Kent no longer worked at the Daily Planet. It was updated to reflect the time where Clark Kent was now a television reporter at Galaxy Broadcasting. So, I mean, at least he was following the comics at the time. Yeah, it just, Puzo's it's trying missing, to stay current. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's just missing, you know, Daily Planet. You just kind of have to have it. I believe I, I read something where they're like, yeah, like everyone remembers him being at the Daily Planet with Perry White and the George Reeves show. So right. you're going to need that. Like you need the giant globe on top of the building, like all that type of yes. shit. Like that's yes. that's not in that's not in the script. In fact, Perry White has one scene in this entire script, all two hundred pages. Perry White has one scene. He's <laughs> he doesn't like very him. mellow. <laughs> He's the opposite of regular Perry White. Says, "Ah, you seem like a good fit. I'll recommend you meet with the boss." So the boss in this is not Perry White; it's Morgan Edge. So okay. Morgan Edge, most famous these days as being the, uh, you know, the pseudonym for the villain in the first season of Superman and Lois. But in the comics, Edge was also a real executive at Galaxy Broadcasting, who was basically Clark's boss at the TV station. And I think Puzo is kind of doing an amalgam character where it's both Morgan Edge with Perry White qualities, because this Morgan Edge just happens to also be a boisterous man with a big voice and a cigar in his mouth. And I'm like, okay, so basically it's Perry White with Morgan Edge's name. Right, right, right. So uh, I thought that was fascinating because I was not expecting Edge's name to be in this at all. But we'll dive a little bit more into uh, Morgan Edge in the comics and the Patreon. But we uh, get introduced to the news crew in this one where it's a little different because it's now the Galaxy Broadcasting version. So everyone does something a little different than what you would expect. Jimmy Olsen. Okay. Olsen's no longer a photographer in this. His main job is running the mobile broadcasting and the news van that they're going to be using throughout some of these sequences. There's going to be sequences okay. of, of Clark and, and Lois and Jimmy using the news van. And um, they also have sportscaster and former quarterback Steve Lombard, major supporting character in Superman comics at the time, not in Superman the movie, but he's a major player in this Puzo script. So he the, he's the sports writer. You said he's the sports dude. Yeah, he's well, he's the okay. he, he's sports caster in the original version, but then reimagined as sports the sports writer when it went back oh, right. to the Daily Planet. Uh, but they, right, right, we right. also meet the weather girl Lois Lane. So <laughs> this okay. is a weird choice. She's the weather girl, but it, it's. It's deliberately out of character here. It's not a case where like Lois Lane is this lowly weather girl. It's more of a thing where um, she is overqualified for the role that she has here. Right, right. Edge says she's too beautiful to be a reporter on the side. She photographs so well. I got to make her do the weather report. The thing is, Lois is terrible at being the weather girl (laughs) (laughs) in this case. Uh, She asking how to spell shit in this? Not in this one. So that was in the later drafts. Probably because in this context, she doesn't have to write anything. She just has to read it off. <laughs> She's just pointing to a fucking green screen or whatever they had in the 70s. Yeah. But it says that Lois is reporting yesterday's weather, which makes her a terrible weather girl. And Lois tries to justify her choice saying that she thinks yesterday's weather report will actually happen tomorrow, which is why she's saying it. Clark seems to agree with her that there'll be no snowstorm tomorrow, and Lois bets that if she's right, she'll get her old job back as being a regular reporter and not the uh, weather girl. And Clark decides that he has so much faith in Lois at this point that he's going to bet his own job at Galaxy Prodcasting that Lois is right. They only realize they're, well, Clark realizes he's in deep shit when they walks out with Lois and Lois is just like, okay, I got to tell you, I did actually read yesterday's weather report. I have no idea what I'm doing. So <laughs> both of their jobs okay. are on the line. Uh, but there's a solution to that. That night, a snowstorm's about to approach. Superman flies up in the clouds 
and the next morning it's a bright and sunny day because Superman can change the weather in oh, the Puzo script. Okay. It's probably so... not his idea, though. I mean, it's, he's probably done everything <laughs> under the sun and the gal the universe, really. Yeah, I know. At this point, but yeah, it's bound to be in a Silver Age comic <laughs> or something. That's yeah, yeah. But he's, he's Lois dark, gets her old job. <laughs> Lois gets her old job back. Clark gets a new one, and being part of the Galaxy broadcasting crew, and uh, he gets to basically work with the rest of the crew here. And Edge wants all of them to be in the news van and capture the crime wave across Metropolis. And uh, Clark establishes kind of a rivalry with Steve Lombard, like in the comics, where Lombard is trying to out, is sort of out macho Clark, but Clark uses his <laughs> powers and his wits to make Lombard just think that he's basically kind of a, a wimp, even though he's really not. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, Steve uses his football a lot throughout the script and in the comics too, I think. And, and Clark always finds some way to outwit him where it, it's not about out machoing him because that would give away that he's Superman. So that kind of dynamic yeah. is in oh, the script. Geez, Steve, why do you gotta <laughs> be like that? <laughs> uh, I asked Dan the context behind this panel here where it looks like Steve Lombard is just randomly going to pour something on Clark's head and Clark <laughs> isn't doing anything about it. And um, <laughs> let's just say we'll wait on the Patreon for the full context of that because when Dan told me what the rest of this comic was, I was like, really? What the fuck? So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll wait on that. Uh, oh, but we man. do meet the villain in this script, whom Puzo calls not Lex Luthor, but Luthor Lux. I don't know why, oh but his name is Luthor like Lux. It. I just don't like it. <laughs> it sounds if like a had... LexCorp vacuum, mach <laughs> vacuum machine. <laughs> Either that or like luck a luxury brand item, like it's his own version of Versace. Mm-hmm. Like Luth Luthor Lux brand bags or something like yeah. something like that. Then they're purple and green. I don't I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. Like that's one of the side businesses of LexCorp. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't like this name. No, I I don't think anybody likes this name. I don't know why he even went with that because it's not like Lex. The name Lex was not a thing at the time. Remember, like originally when he was introduced, he was just Luthor. Oh, Maybe right. he didn't. I mean, like, look, you know Jaxer and Cruel, but you don't know Lex is Luthor's name <laughs> at this point in time. I get it. maybe since there's no Wikipedia for him to look it up, but it just seems like maybe he was just fucking around with his own it just version. Sounded kind of lame. <laughs> I wanted a different name. I guess so, Mario, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> uh, Puzo says I Luthor. Wrote the fucking Godfather. <laughs> All right, it's a good point. Uh, Puzo you gotta says remember, Luthor you gotta remember one thing about me. I'm the fucking Godfather. Did you like the Godfather? <laughs> I, That's true. None of us did. Leave it to fine. me, all right? All right, fine, Mario. Uh, Puzo emphasizes Luthor should remain bald in the movie. Obviously, it didn't happen. Uh, and he Good pitches choice. the idea of either, quote, Newman or Hoffman. I assume Paul Newman or Dustin Hoffman at the time. Um, yes. He also says that Luthor should be in a black tight jumpsuit that Puzo says should also kind of make him look like the devil. Interesting description. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it looks like no matter what the draft is, Lex Luthor was not necessarily going to be that true to the perception of, you know, even Luthor at the time in comics. We've either got this Luthor Lux guy in a black tight jumpsuit or we got the Kleenex eating guy in the Benton Newman draft. 
or we got the real estate guy in the final movie who might honestly be the best version of Luthor we could have gotten out of My these God, drafts. Dude. What's the best? Well, I guess people love the Smallville version, but that's still mm-hmm. a guy in high school, isn't it? Like, He's not in high school. He's an easy. Well, he's mostly like, uh, what's the D and D character? Like he's what? Maybe chaotic evil. Yeah. Lawful, lawful, well, lawful neutral. And then becomes lawful evil. in like the final season that he's, he's in there, which was season seven before he left the show. Uh, I see. So he kind of becomes more and more corrupted for a bit, but yeah, for a good chunk of time, Michael Rosenbaum was playing like, Lex as a good guy, but like you always saw like the shades of gray that were getting darker and darker and stuff. But I think it's it was that investment that lent itself towards him being up there. But I think in general, this character is, has gotten his due a lot better on television than he has in the movies, uh, just because they've just stayed more true to, to Lex or fleshed him out as a character throughout uh, all the shows he's been in as opposed to the movies. Yeah, uh, I think Lex is like probably deceptively hard to get as a character. Mm-hmm. We can go in later. He like, is, I think, um, part of it could just be he's an afterthought in this because it's just like, oh, we got Superman. What's Lex Luthor's thing? He's a bold guy who fights him. All right, we can just do whatever. Like, I think that's the attitude yeah. at this time. <laughs> yeah, like they think it's simple, but it's actually a little bit deeper than that. But. You know what, Lex Luthor, Man of Steel comic, wasn't written at this time, so maybe it just wasn't nope. that deep. I don't know. Correct us in the comments, but that Man of Steel comic from, well, I don't know, it was probably 2005 or something. It was Lex, it's Lex Luthor, Man of Steel. That's an amazing, like, little character study into Lex. I think that's the best Azarello Bermejo collaboration. It's incredible. All right, yeah. we've talked about it enough. Let me just say one thing. Like, fucking Good. Lex Luthor deceptively uh, he's deceptively simple or no it's he's more complex like the whole like the whole deal about like who like why should a he's pissed because why should an alien be the hope for mankind Mm -hmm. right like i think that's a really good point you know why do we put so much hope into someone that's not even human you know like we're human you should at least worship a man like me you know like he he'll twist it around to back to him so it's narcissistic so it's kind of like you know like the gods are pure the pure gods are are purer than human and then man will always be made of sin kind of thing i feel like that's really in there again judeo judeo christian um values man's inherently sinful kind of thing so we we need somebody like superman or something but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, I don't know if these ideas have ever really gotten into an actual movie, but I feel like they're going to eventually, like, they're just too good. Yeah, and I think maybe this, at this time, at this period of time, it hadn't quite come across in the comics that Pooza was drawing from. I think it's likely he, like, read one Luthor comic where he was just a bald guy who faced against Superman with Kryptonite, and he's like, all right, I got it, and that's it. If, he didn't necessarily any... see the themes. If there's any kind of deeper thematic thing there, and there probably isn't, maybe I'm missing it, but other than the man of the Lex Luthor Man of Steel stuff, it's also uh, like at this time it kind of seems like, uh, especially the mad scientist Lex Luthor, there 
the inner the 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 inner thing to this is is like somebody that's so cerebral and so smart but has lost their moral compass because of being too smart and they're i feel like there's a little bit of like i don't know if i'd call it anti-intellectual intellectualism when you know ran comics because you make the smart you smart guy out to be evil but it's um how can i say it yeah people just there's a little bit of a distrust towards genius i think because they're so they're so uh you know different from a normal person and you don't know what they're thinking and because they're so smart they're yeah, their moral compass could be off a little bit. I think that's kind of Lex Luthor's thing, especially at this time. Well, there's also humility versus the arrogance. You have yeah, the humility yeah, of, of a man who can do anything. He can bend steel with his bare hands and he can fly, but he has the he has the humility of a guy from Kansas. And you've got this other guy who has the arrogance. He doesn't have right. the abilities, but he has the arrogance to think that he can fight that and match that and stuff. And that, that kind of creates the differences where it's, you know, maybe not necessarily trying to demean intelligence so much as it's, uh, you know, something against the arrogance that the that Luthor is bringing into his perception of himself in the world. Man, I love all this shit, bro. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, it's the... not with Luthor Lux in this. <laughs> I know it's not, but this these ideas, it's mm -hmm. just I love how it's a guy with a fucking cape and a blue suit and a ball guy kind of fighting and it, like on the from the outset it just looks so it can look kind of like not, there's not much there but there's so much there you yeah, know what i mean exactly. there's so much thematic stuff there there's the judeo-christian ideas the, the original creators were jewish of course so i i just lo i love all this in here anyway yeah. let's get back to the That's program great. story i i derailed us for fucking 20 minutes let's talk about well lex luthor is an important character in this and he has a henchwoman named eve who will become miss Tessmacher in the final film and in later drafts so she's been okay. in this from the beginning there's no otis though uh he has five <laughs> other henchmen but there's no, none of them are named otis but it does seem like most of them are idiots anyway so i guess they all got combined into becoming otis <laughs> in later drafts so it's just it's whatever so this luthor is not a real estate mogul like the Gene Hackman version. And he's not a Kleenex eating version of that either, like in the uh, other draft. He basically. Was absolutely mind boggling. <laughs> the Kleenex eating shit. Yeah. <laughs> I did, one of my favorite aspects of that five part thing was you was having you read the description and you're like, he eats Kleenex in that, the middle of your description. People, if you've just listened to the Batman shits, or you yeah. gotta go back to go to that one, people. Like that. Yeah. That's a live reaction for me. Like I did not know what was coming. And that became obviously a big deal in that episode and probably that whole series after that. Yeah, we did a whole sketch on it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. Yeah, so Luthor has a big plan. He's gonna rob a bank and replace the bank money with counterfeits so the bankers will go to jail, citing that bankers are evil and still within the law. So he's rebalancing the scale of good and evil by sending bankers and framing them for counterfeit money. This is an interesting, like, I'm going to fight the system type of Luthor in uh, in the Puzo script that I don't think is really what was going on in the comics. It was more of a, like, mad scientist type of guy or even, like, bordering on some morally grayish type stuff with him. 
and uh, the Lexor planet and stuff. But uh, Luthor in this one is kind of just like stick it to the man type of Luthor. So which is ironic considering his future in the comics where he will be the man. Uh, but in this version, not so much. So uh, Luthor attempts to do the heist where he and Eve and the rest of the henchmen are all dressed up in uniforms, pretending to be armored truck drivers to deliver the counterfeit money to the bank. Passing by is the Galaxy News van, including Lois and Clark, and they realize that something's up because they see Eve, and during this time in 1975, there were no women guards. So thanks to all that type of stuff, they deduce the fact that a crime is in progress. Lois goes to check it out, but Luther's men take her hostage, and Clark decides this is going to be his debut. So as they try to kidnap Lois, they see a man in a red cape and a blue outfit standing in the middle of the road. And they all, <laughs> Lois looks in horror as Luther is just like, all right, run him over. So this is actually a moment from Action Comics number one, where Lois was taken nice. hostage by a bunch of criminals and they saw Superman standing in the road and uh, they tried to hit him. In the comic, Superman just kind of leaps over them because he didn't fly at this time. In the movie, I mean, in the script, uh, they try to crash into him and obviously that doesn't work out so well for them <laughs> at all. Right, so, right, right. Uh, the criminals get out. Luthor tries to shoot Superman. Again, this is their first meeting, so he's about to find out that that's not going to work either. Uh, and Superman puts Luthor in a headlock as the henchmen try to take off in the truck. Superman decides to stop the truck and, in an echo of the Action Comics number one cover, lifts it up and shakes it over his head. So, <laughs> the replication of a comic book image is here in the original script of uh, the Puzo Superman. I just uh, hope that guy is in terror on the corner is in the frame <laughs> as well. I that guy's great, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Steve Lombard and Jimmy Olsen basically take care of the footage, and this is Superman's debut. Luthor, of course, takes off into his underground headquarters, and Superman tries to go after him. However, Luthor has turned it into a maze that only he knows how to get to his headquarters, and he also has images of himself projected in different areas, forcing Superman to have to give up the chase. You would think he would kind of be able to use his x-ray vision in order to figure out where Luthor is, but that's just not in here. So Luthor escapes in a maze, outwitting Superman, and the Superman-Luthor okay. rivalry has begun in the Puzo script. So there okay. we go. I think this gives us a good opportunity to take a break. Just wanted to announce that I have a new podcast called Gaming Gaiden. It's about Japanese to English translation. In this first season, it will be 10 episodes each season. If you saw the ranking, every Superman video game two-parter we did here on Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you have seen Mike before. So yes, if you like video games, if you've been interested in Japanese ever, we're going to be talking a lot about just Japan in general. Japanese cultural differences as well and we also are going to have a lot of talk about 90s video game magazines such as Electronic Gaming Monthly aka EGM so stay tuned for Gaming Gaiden podcast it's already out now y'all I want to tell you about the patreon.com patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod and on that you get the one dollar tier uh, you can join the $1 tier, which gets you the shout-out on the board, and either visually or orally, or both at times. Uh, <laughs> we want to do the oral uh, for the most part uh, for newer people. Uh, and then the $5 tier gets you a whole new show, 
this show is every Monday, as you well know, and it's free on YouTube and the What's Nots. And um, the uh, Patreon show is every Friday at the $5 tier mark. You can, if you want, binge us for five mm-hmm. bucks. And uh, there's like 150 episodes, uh, almost 150 at this point. And you can, uh, you know, listen to all that content there. Even the stuff that's been released from the vault, none of that has been the full episode as well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to keep our uh, $5 tier people happy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, but yeah, check that out. And then our $10 tier gets you all of the above, plus a... Uh, it gets you a monthly meetup show where you meet up with us monthly and it's like a zoom like call and we have a topic at hand or sometimes videos we react to and things like that and that's at the $10 tier Um, every tier that you get like the $5 tier gets you the $1 tier benefits and the $10 tier gets you the $5 tier benefits and the $1 tier benefits so check that out at patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod we also got the merch which is redbubble superhousepod.redbubble.com and on threadless superhero stuff pod.threadless.com get your bin man and indeed wizard mug shirt shower curtains and all the rest artwork by Stephen santa cruz and please send us some audio at superhousepodcast at gmail.com a bumper would be great mm-hmm. you too can be part of the show I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter. Thunderwolf lives as my other YouTube channel, one of my many YouTube channels. And I have uh, also ThunderwolfDrew.com has my whole portfolio in one place except for AmanoRecon.com. That's A-M-A-N-O-R-E-C-O-N.com. And that is uh, an original idea that some friends and I are doing where it is R-rated Um, Power Rangers meets Stranger Things. That's the quick pitch, and it is not a fan film, original idea. We have a pitch video right now on YouTube and on the Indiegogo page. We're campaigning right now as of this, uh, when this episode premieres. And this poster art is by ZacharyJacksonBrownArt.com. And check it out. Please support us on the campaign. And more from that soon. Um, but yes, it's uh, it's bloody, and um, if you like that kind of thing, check us out. And that's it, Ben. Follow us on social media on Twitter at Superhouse Pod, Instagram Superhero Stuff Pod, where we have some different supplemental stuff. We even, I've even analyzed the martial arts stance that the Keaton ornament from the Flash is in, so you can check that out on our Instagram Superhero <laughs> Stuff Pod, uh, TikTok Superhero Stuff Pod, Vero Superhero Stuff Pod. My website is benwanrider.com, where you can read a whole bunch of spec scripts, including Gotham, Vampire, Elementary, The Death of Sherlock Holmes, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, Disneyland. If you're fans of any of those shows, check them out and let us know what you think. My YouTube channel is in the description below, including Doctor Who, The Ronin of Time, an audio drama I write, edit, and narrate with the 8th Doctor, meaning Miyamoto Musashi. My personal Instagram is BenWanRider. If you like cats, my son, Alfie, my cat, is at Alfie Pennyworth Cat. And if you have an Alfie yourself, then you can get the Whisker Box, the only cat box with a crazy cat lady and gent. And you can even check out another page on that website, superherostuffpod.com slash show notes. That includes uh, various show notes for each of our episodes, 
links to the scripts that we review if they're available online. Amazon links to the stuff we've been talking about, including, you know, Brian Levant's book that he plugged for us, My Life and Toys. So check that out at superherostuffpod.com slash show notes. Lord have mercy, y'all. Do you like hounds? Do you enjoy pooches? Do you find yourself enjoying time spent with that of canines? Talking about dogs, y'all. As you might have heard, Superhero Stuff You Should Know has now teamed up with BarkBox. For every month, you get a box for your special canine. Pooches. Or hounds. That's right. One free extra month if you go to BarkBox.com slash Superhero Stuff Pod. Follow the link and you'll get a free extra month valued at $35 and valid for all multi-length plans. So get the BarkBox for your hound, for your pooch, for your canine. Your doggo will thank you. You got that Wister Sister sauce, boy? <laughs> We're back to talk about Puzo's Superman script and just how different it is from the 1978 movie, which just highlights how much the other writers contributed to this. I mean, now we're seeing that this Puzo script is kind of a little bit more of a comedy, in which case it's ironic because we have Tom Mankiewicz to thank really for a lot of the you know heavier weight stuff, even though Mankiewicz himself is known for some of the sillier james bond movies so it's an interesting contrast you know in terms of who we think might have brought the prestige versus who actually brought the prestige to the movie a lot of the dramatic weight and all the things the iconic moments aren't necessarily in the puzo draft they're in the later ones puzo was the only accredited writer uh it was puzo and then the newmans as well as uh robert benton uh tom mankiewicz was not credited However, he was credited as a creative consultant, uh, even though he really just did a, like a big rewrite of all the aspects. Uh, so he really should have been. He's the one who saved it. You know, like I think um, one of our former guests, Michael, Michael Uslin, uh, was on. I listened to another podcast of his. I think it was Geekscape where uh, the the host mentioned Mario Puzo being the writer for Superman. And and Uslin actually butted in to be like, excuse me, but it's Tom Mankiewicz you should thank for Superman. And I think he's right. Uh, it's what it seems giving... like so far. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that also comes from the fact that Uslan worked with Mankiewicz on that, uh, you know, the Batman script from 1982, 83 uh, together. So it was somebody I don't think I don't know if he personally knew Puzo, but it seems like he personally knew Mankiewicz. And he probably at some point has read the script or at least knew, known how much uh, Mank contributed to the movie. But still. Okay. It's interesting to take a look at uh, you know the the blueprint that started off. So, uh, for sure, like we said before, Clark works at Galaxy Broadcasting. So the boss is not Perry White; it's Morgan Edge, and Morgan Edge is the one who dubs the rescuer Superman in this. So it's not Lois who okay. calls him Superman; it's Morgan Edge. Uh, Jimmy Olsen thinks it's a great name, of course, and Clark now has to report the news about Superman, <laughs> which. Luthor watches on the television and he plans to take out Superman as he watches Clark Kent on the TV, obviously not knowing he's watching Superman himself deliver the news. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Clark reports about a hostage crisis in Iran. The, keep in mind, this is not the Iranian hostage crisis. That was years after this draft, but it is one in the script where terrorists there have held an oil refinery hostage and it's going to pay off a little later. I'm just putting it out there. Okay. But uh, basically, there's this crime wave in Metropolis, and uh, Superman is welcome to help take down the crime wave. And uh, then we get a bunch of random shit. 
this is where things kind of go off the rails. We have a this long is like a montage season. of crime. This is what it's of... supposed to be like, kind of like, like a montage sort of. I wish, I wish Andrew, <laughs> that this is a montage of crime. That would make sense. Oh man, Puzo, <laughs> dude, why? why the writer of the Godfather. Like this, <laughs> so maybe this is why this didn't leak onto the internet. So oh, we get best. a bunch of random shit of Steve Lombard versus Clark Kent. Where Steve Lombard's just like, I bet you can't throw a football through a tire hanging from the ceiling five dude, times. Steve Lombard just cr- has a big crush on Clark, dude. <laughs> There's some homoeroticism here, I think. I, I don't know what it is, but I mean, it is it is a rivalry from the comics. However, I think it's one thing where it's just like, okay, it's a fun little thing that ties into the rest of the story in like a 22-issue comic. But when it's a movie, like when people go to sign up, to watch a Superman movie, even in the 70s, they're not going to be like, I can't wait to see what antics he gets into or Steve Lombard. Like, no, you want to see him fucking fly and, you know, yeah, and, just and rest tackle people. together and, you know, <laughs> have a good old time. So they make a bet together that whoever can throw the football through the tire uh, five times uh, will take Lois out on a date. And Clark pretends to be clumsy. Lois has no say, say. in this, right? <laughs> no, she doesn't. This is, yes, she's, <laughs> we'll, have, we'll, we'll decide this and then go tell Lois. <laughs> okay, okay, man. Clark naturally is able to do it, but he does it in like clever ways to make it not seem like he's actually able to do it. He just gets lucky five times in a row. And I'm like, look, this is, this is again, this is fun in its own separate issue. But like... He's been Superman once at this point. <laughs> Luthor's planning to take him down, and now we, we're spending five minutes of him throwing a football with Steve Lombard. We're like at page 40-something? What are we at? We're, we're probably almost an hour into this at this point. Dude. Yeah, this... Okay. Yeah, yeah. man. He was better at writing <laughs> gangsters, dude. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was Coppola who really reined them in. Because, like, if if you read the the Godfather novel, it is basically the movie, but with, like, added shit in there that is just, like, nice okay. for, like, coloring of the characters uh, of, like, their different characteristics and their backstories and stuff. But it's not necessarily things that you would, uh, you know, want to see. Uh, like, you read the novel and you're just like, all right, like, they pretty much adapted this well in the movie. There's not really anything mm-hmm. in it that you're like, this needed to be in there. Uh, in my opinion, at least. Right. So uh, in here, the Edge uh, basically p- wants them to continue to patrol the streets. He kind of, um, he's he's less interested in this type of stuff that Luthor is doing and more about this crime wave because, I mean, frankly, that's going to give them the ratings. Uh, Clark, however, decides not to join them in patrolling the streets, and Lois is disappointed, thinking that Clark here is a coward. So... Um, we have some more hardcore crimes, of course, in this version. We have a drug deal in progress that they find. The dealers spot them and try to shoot them to take care of the witnesses. But Superman arrives and saves the news crew from being shot to death, which is his next encounter with Lois. Lois asks him for an interview, and Superman announces on the air that he is from Krypton and that he's declaring war on crime in Metropolis. So right out and out, he is pretty much outing himself as an alien on the air, which, of course, is going to uh, bite him in the ass later. Right. Uh, Superman flies off, and we get a montage of him stopping a variety of crimes throughout the city. This is the template that led into what we got in Superman's first night out in the final movie. It's just there's no 
helicopter rescue with Lois. There's no, you know, I got you, you got me. Who's got you? Like th- that iconic moment, not right. in this. Uh, Superman stops a mugging. A mugger tries to stab him. And of course, the knife just snaps when the guy tries to stab Superman because it's Superman. Um, there's a comedic moment that I think goes into a later script, but not in the movie, where a group of criminals are trying to steal a TV and they're carrying it out and they look up and they see Superman there and they go right back in to return the TV. <laughs> so like that type of like fun <laughs> shit. I, I kind of like that moment funny. Yeah, yeah. Me I can buy that one. Yeah, like that. That one's a little bit more like okay, you get that gag. Like that gag works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the one. That's one I keep uh, into the next <laughs> draft. Yeah, which ironically didn't make it into the movie. But what did was we had we saw in the movie the burglar going up the building with the suction pads, played by future Thomas Wayne, David Bax. More on that if you check out our five dollar <laughs> Patreon. But apparently the burglar is trying to reach uh, or. Uh, has already stolen from a rich woman who has a safe up there. And uh, that's why he's doing all that type of stuff or already has the uh, the jewelry on him when Superman finds him. Uh, when Superman is on the side of the building, he's like, nice night for a stroll up the side of a building. <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> and uh, the burglar falls, but Superman catches him. And the burglar actually has a line in this being like, you saved my life. And Superman's like, but I can't save you from jail. <laughs> Turns him in immediately. <laughs> so... You could fly uh, me to Bar- Barbados or something. <laughs> no, going right no. to prison. <laughs> Clark, Lois, and Jimmy then go to Central Park in Metropolis, uh, where a gang is coming. Clark w- runs away, which again makes them think that he's a coward. And then shit goes dark because the gang seems bent on not only mugging them, but also killing Jimmy and raping Lois. Shit got dark. So Superman saves the day once again. Uh, and that is it for the sequence. I don't even know why it's in here, uh, but that's the, that's the rest of the montage. Uh, okay. Now, Luthor is sleeping, and somehow the ghosts of the four Phantom Zone villains, that's Professor Zod, Jax Ur, Cruel, and Professor Vaycox, uh, are able to contact him in his sleep to tell him to pay attention to the destruction of the planet Krypton, the planet that Superman <sighs> cited as his home in the news so <sighs> bro i'm disappointed in puzo bro <laughs> again this tell you shows right how much we owe to the other writers i'm disappointed in the, the, the scribe of the godfather <laughs> Luthor, how do you play. know how do you know that kryptonite is his weakness he's like it was described to me in a dream like, it's, awesome. it's literally <laughs> that meme <laughs> yes oh my so... god Thanks to the Phantom Zone villains who are able to somehow telepathically communicate to Luthor from the Phantom Zone. I don't know how they chose him, but uh, they're able to telepathically tell him, hey, pay attention to Krypton. And from there, he deduces that Kryptonite will weaken Superman. Again, thank God for the rewrites later on. But uh, Luthor himself has not, uh, other than encountering Superman the first time at the bank, Luthor is still worried about Superman because if Superman knocks out all the crime, then the police have more of a chance to focus on Luthor himself. He can't have that happen. So he and Eve go to a museum and steal kryptonite from there uh, because it was, you know, it landed years ago from the meteor shower. So that's, that's in there pretty much from the movie. Um, and then in Iran, the hostage crisis seems to escalate. Terrorists are taking people hostage there rather than in the refinery. So Edge decides he's going to send his entire news team to the Middle East. And that's where the rest of the script takes place in, in terms of the Superman, the movie section. So the rest of this takes place in the Middle East. Uh, 
They arrive. Clark and Lois walk around with Clark, revealing that he can speak the language. Uh, he knows the history of this place. He impresses Lois about this. We're building up kind of the Clark and Lois love story type of thing. It's a little bit Does less it just of... Say, it just says Middle but, East. It doesn't say a country Well, it's, it's clearly Iran. <clears throat> I, mean, oh, I was, yeah, I was yeah, summing, yeah. summing up it like, we're not in Metropolis for the rest of what we're going to be covering today, is what, is what okay. I meant. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. Uh, but she wants to you know, see more of the culture there, and she asks Clark to see the Peacock Throne. And the next day when they go to the Peacock Throne, it is, of course, where Luthor Lux decides to strike and causes an explosion. Lois recognizes Luthor is there, and she wants to cover the story. Clark, however, wants to run away, and once again, Lois calls him a coward. So it seems like this is a different dynamic of Lois and Clark in here, where like Lois isn't necessarily in love, out-and-out out love with Superman while Clark is pining after her. It's more of like she kind of has... A thing with Clark, but is continually disappointed that Clark does not match up because he always seems like he's a coward because he's always running away from the danger. And then Superman arrives. Right. So it's, it's a little different. Alone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Lois goes in and of course she ends up getting captured by Luthor. This is classic Superman stuff. Lois Lane, of course, is hostage. Uh, so Superman arrives to save her, but uh, Luthor reveals he has kryptonite studded on his belt and weakened Superman on it. So he's got basically these green, you know, the green kryptonite are all around his belt. That's his utility belt, I guess. In this, I got a kryptonite belt buckle. That's how he talks <laughs> in this movie, dude. <laughs> I'm Lex Luthor. <laughs> it's just a big ass green belt buckle, dude. He's got a cowboy hat. He's like one of those, old, oh, dude, oil tycoon. I'm Ooh, yeah. Oil tycoon Lex Luthor. Michael actually kind of could work. Yeah. I think it could kind of, kind of work, honestly, <laughs> now that I think about yes. it. <laughs> we might have accidentally created something. We were, <laughs> take that to the bank, James Gunn. <laughs> so he ties the kryptonite belt around Superman and claims the peacock throne for himself. He wants to hold Lois ransom and for Morgan Edge to pay him $10 million in free advertising on Galaxy Communications. He also knows that Superman will not survive 10 days wearing the kryptonite belt so superman's in deep shit at this point so as you guys can tell there's no earthquake thing there's no like aha like i'm going to own all this land type of shit like none of that's there no missiles no oh my you know my mother lives over there in hackensack like none of that type of stuff <laughs> all that's in later drafts this is all just a, a showdown at the peacock throne uh in this one <laughs> seems very smaller scale in comparison to what's going to happen later uh right so yeah, no no catching missiles, just him trying to get rid of the uh, the kryptonite in this. So Steve Lombard belt, and Jimmy big Wilson. ass green belt buckle, <laughs> yeah, just trying to get rid of it. That's your big well, fucking finale, Puzo. That's the big finale, yeah. I mean, to be fair, right? This is still like close to halfway into the overall two hundred page script, so it's not like the big uh -huh. big finale. If it were one movie, however, because of the length of this thing, of course it's going to be split into two movies. So. Maybe it wouldn't have been here, but to me, like this is this kind of matches up as like the early blueprint to Superman the movie, and so this is where I choose to like pretty much lead into what would be kind of the third act of of this variation if they were to have shot the Puzo script as is and split it into two movies. So right. uh, Lombard and Olsen try to go to the rescue and uh, pretty much go in and get uh, caught immediately by Luthor at this point. So they're useless. Uh, Superman tells <laughs> Lois that he knows something about the peacock throne that she's sitting on it, which is that if she uh, 
basically sits on a certain way, it will activate a booby booby trap that will pull out a sword that she can use to cut out, basically cut her bonds and free herself. So uh, she attempts this. She sits on the peacock throne, and one of Luthor's henchmen goes up to her and uh, tries to fondle her during this point. Uh, and uh, she activates it, and the sword comes out and impales the henchman right through his body. So Lois kills somebody okay. in this version. Uh, but, you know, can't really blame her for the situation. Lois doesn't necessarily have the no-kill rule, so she gets herself free and gets the kryptonite off of Superman. So Lois saves the day here. Superman thanks her, also tells her that she has great legs, and then takes off. Oh, my God, dude. Dude, Puzo, man. You know, let's just say, starting to see a pattern here. Mm. Product of his time. We all are a product of our time. It's fine. I mean, it's, I don't want to know fine, but I get it. <laughs> great legs Lois Lois. Has great legs in this yes so, I mean, it's just I don't know if I want Superman to be saying all that like just randomly <laughs> like fucking I, I, I don't know man I mean man, it's a little much but all right Superman helps rescue Lombard and Olsen but there's a comedic moment because they're all dressed undercover so they're Lombard's all Lombard's got in. a fucking raging boner whenever he's <laughs> It's a moment he's been waiting for. <laughs> it's true. Superman accidentally knocks out Lombard because they're all dressed undercover during this time. And so Superman thinks he's one of the bad guys until Olsen is just like, no, no, it's Steve Lombard. And Superman's like, oops. <laughs> and okay. then it goes into the next scene where like the team finally gets back to the hotel. And again, like Lois, Steve Lombard, Jimmy Olsen, they all thought they went through this alone. And Clark was just staying at the hotel and they meet with Clark. And Clark's trying to keep up appearances and pretending to be clueless about what just happened. And he's just like, well, there you all are. You all have been sightseeing while I have to do all the work here. This is unfair. And they get so pissed, they throw his ass into the pool. <laughs> so Okay. Uh, and the next day, Lois decides she's going to pack the kryptonite away so that she can give it to Superman as a gift so it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. And that kind of leads into a story where Superman and Lois's relationship will deepen. He may or may not be tempted to give up his powers. He might have to fight a few Phantom Zone villains, but that is the Superman 2 portion. So that is where we will leave off here on a cliffhanger. And that covers what Puzo wrote for what would become the 1978 Superman movie. <laughs> what do you think of this, Andrew? Oh, dude, I'm glad we're doing this, obviously. But, like... This is a kind of a disappointment. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> There's, a, I was expecting a little bit of this, but I guess we were warned. We were told already by Mankiewicz. I mean, by uh, Uslan, like you said, about Mankiewicz being the guy that really saved this. But mm -hmm. I mean, maybe Puzo wrote this in like over a weekend, just did a side better and did a bunch of cocaine, like Stephen <laughs> King did for when he wrote Cujo. Do you know the story mm -hmm. behind that? Uh it sounds familiar. I. I Go okay. ahead and go into it. For the audience, Cujo was apparently written on a, a serious cocaine bender over a weekend. <laughs> and There's a killer dog. Stephen King said he woke up with no memory and a nosebleed leading onto his script. But, the, <laughs> but a book was done. <laughs> he said, <laughs> so that's, now I, I know wonder how to complete if, my next thing. Oh yeah, it's just <laughs> get it, white lightning, baby. So um, <laughs> get nuts. that's how I'm going to write my next uh, novel. 
So, yeah, dude, fucking uh, fuck writer's you know, block. <laughs> <laughs> this is a dream for a writer. Um, maybe Puzo did that with this. Um, again, it was the first time people tried anything near serious, so I can't mm-hmm. get it, man. Looking back, like seeing what Donner did and what Mank and, and you know now seeing what Mankiewicz did and the other drafts, mm-hmm. it's just like man, Donner was he was the right guy, dude. He yeah. was just the right guy for that time. Just incredible. Um, yeah, I just I don't know. There was nothing that was like a huge improvement <laughs> over what we got. Right? It was just not really. It's just there. Not not real. I can't really point to a single thing where I'm just like, damn, that should have been in the movie. Like kind of what we've had in the past, uh, like screenplay deep dives where just like, man, they should have put that in. Like there's not really anything in this where I'm reading through and, and really feel that way. It's more of just like, I see how this is the blueprint. Thank God for Tom Mankiewicz and the other writers. <laughs> and Richard Dunn. was still alive. No, he passed away years ago. Oh, man. All right. Well, I want to get him on the show. I guess I guess not. <laughs> If we get a Lazarus pit, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's got the, who you, you brought me back there? for what your, now? Like your grandmother? No, 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 man. Tom Mankiewicz. <laughs> um, so uh, whenever you were reading this, Ben, yep. you were just like disappointed the whole plane ride. <laughs> like, I, I was. How this go? I, I, our source warned me this was a hard script to get through, uh, okay. and so. I, in order to get through this, I was on a plane. I was on a six-hour uh-huh. plane ride, and I was like, I got nothing else to do. I have this 200-page script. I need to read it for the podcast. Let me get through it. And so, like, yeah, there was the disappointment, but I think, like, if it was one of those things, I'm just like, man, I'm just going to curl up on the couch, you know, get myself a bottle of wine and some good food and just read the Mario Puzo script, like something part of Superman history. Yeah, I would have been really disappointed. I would, just, I just would have stopped at some point. But because I was on a plane and I had nothing else to do, that's how I was able to get this episode done. So, right, it, it was disappointing, there's, but it was colored by uh, someone else giving me the heads up. There's just like a little bit of, uh, like you know, sexism in this. Like a little, I mean, either I mean, not horrible, but like just kind of throughout, it kind of feels like I don't know. There's an obvious time feeling where they're just like, there's no, well, I mean, the whole thing about there's no woman guard thing. And that's kind of more of a statement on how things were at the time, not necessarily them being, them being sexist, but some of the, some of the, uh, <laughs> the great legs, Lois, it's like, <laughs> obviously that stood out to me because I wrote it in the notes. I'm like, I don't know what the context, I don't remember the context of it because it, because I, I read this a couple months ago, but uh, I was like, that doesn't seem like, like Superman would just voluntarily say that uh, on the, but. You know, this is this is why it was rewritten by four other writers, not just those lines, yeah. but just in general. This is it's kind of it's a mess of a script. This is their their tentpole picture for that year. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just like the Batman. But I mean, they just kind of made all the right decisions to for that final one. Well, that seems to be the theme for our twenty twenty three script deep dives right now. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. See, you made the right choices. Sometimes you read a, the you know original drafts, and you're just like, "Man, why they change it?" And other times you're like, "Oh, they did the right thing," <laughs> which they did. I just expect. I just the the Godfather guy. I ex- you, you know you just really expect much from this. 
Yeah, and I think that's, you know, his name is on it, and it's a movie of such prestige and such significance to the genre that you kind of already, you kind of just assume that that's, that he brought that seriousness and stuff. But when you read through it, you realize just how much of it is Tom Mankiewicz. You realize how much of it is, is Richard Donner. Um, or even how much of it is even the, you know, the writers in between, even though that was still very comedic. But certain aspects of of those scripts do inch it forward into what it becomes uh, in the final movie that, you know, now looking at 78, it's like, this is a miracle. <laughs> Given where it started Dude. from, this is a miracle. Yeah, man. So. That's... that's... Uh, yes exactly miracle so anyway i will say i think the second half the part that we're going into next week for superman 2 i think it's a much stronger part it would have been a much stronger okay. movie so we will let you guys find out next week but until then that is superhero stuff you should know all right big thanks to dan for gathering the visuals for the youtube experience we have a few uh, fan comments to go over from the uh, episode on the secret origin of Michael Keaton's Batman, uh, starting with KJ McNeil, who brought up uh, the Keaton back back fist that we were talking about in that episode with Johnny K that he does on, in uh, Access Chemicals. KJ brings up it definitely is Keaton doing the back fist, both because you could tell from his face. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. And because there is behind the scenes footage of him rehearsing it, which is pretty cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, I I I look like him to me as well, but yeah. you know, it could be a stunt guy that looks like him too, but I mean, yeah, I could it probably is him. I mean, for a shot like that, kind of him rehearsing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cuz like it, yeah, how much he's in the frame. Like some other st other stuff like his face isn't quite in the frame as much or it's like a quick shot like um when it's Dave Lee facing off against the swords guy in the alley. Like if you pause it, you can tell it's not Keaton, but if, oh, if yeah. you just you're just passively watching it, especially when we watched it as kids, we're not thinking like that's not Michael Keaton. We just think like, ah, oh, cool, it's Batman. You know, like that's. I mean, it, for for younger time. listeners out there, you couldn't like crystal clear pause anything a, at that time. Mm -hmm. Like you 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 couldn't you couldn't like go frame by frame. Like the way VHS tapes would pause was just it was like a little like lines of static or something, right? Like mm -hmm. it was. You know, they didn't really expect anybody to be frame by framing this shit. No one saw yeah. the internet coming. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. so thank you, KJ. Uh, we also thank got you. a comment from uh, William J, who actually played. Uh, we, I mean, we had a, a great comment here from the man himself, who was Batman in the uh, the Oath, uh, saying, "Love learning about the trivia of why no one knows Bruce's face. Awesome stuff to know." Thank you for watching, and and uh, hope nice. you tune in for other episodes. And great job in the movie. Uh, Walter yes, the Wobot says, Ben, any chance you could get an interview with Osmani Gomez? He created that awesome Batman 89 video game demo. Uh, WB shut him down, but I know he had big plans, including building the main locals of Batman Returns and allowing the player to travel seamlessly between 89 and return set pieces. That's pretty fucking bomb. Uh, when this I saw that demo... one-man show that made a video game? Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, like a demo video, at least, uh, of it. I mean, I'm oh, sure it's a game, but he, yeah, the main thing is people got to see a video. I don't think people got to play anything. Maybe I'm wrong. Because um, oh, I've seen I, the I video. Don't know about this. This is cool. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, keep going. Sorry. When I saw that demo before WB shut him down, I had never been as happy in my life. I literally was brought to tears. The attention to detail, the authenticity is unreal. Okay. We got to check. Yeah, we got to... Um, check out how to contact him. But if you happen to know how to contact him, let us know uh, or put him in touch with us and uh, we'll gladly have uh, you know a conversation. 
with him about it and we'll see what we can do that's but, cool. uh thank you walter uh, thank you and lastly what happened oh yeah <laughs> those are the three comments i was just like wait a minute <laughs> uh but yeah <clears throat> jumping ahead here over to the patreon shout outs Oh, man. Thank everybody here on this here page. And we want to thank especially some of our new people, such as Yusuf A, Kevin R, Derek O, Renee V, Tita, and Braxton W, and the rest of our supporters, the other supporters here. And you know what? We've told you about our friends, and we want you to do us a favor. We want you to tell all your friends about us. That's that's Batman, but, you know, we're Superman episode. What are we going to do? This is it. That's it, Luke guys. Luke Lux. Luthor sucks. <laughs> okay. It's the Superman Luthor rivalry was born. It's better than what Puzo gave us. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>